0: Hello. Welcome to Unprecedented Women, the podcast sharing incredible stories of women who paved their own way in the world of work. Stories that will inspire you to have the confidence to be visible, take action and to play big, because what's the best that can happen? I'm Jess Audsley. We're all pioneers and we are all Unprecedented everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unprecedented Women. I am so excited to be welcoming Hannah Russell onto the show today. Hannah Russell is the founder of Mags Creative, which is a podcast production and promotion agency. And uh, Hannah and her sister, who founded this business together, have clients such as Spotify and Penguin, reaching over 2 million listeners a month hannah founded max with her sister as i mentioned and it is actually her second business that she founded after selling their first business which is called layer home and max creative has three legs production promotion and originals and work with brands and individuals to tell their story in audio and i am so excited to get into this conversation i have been looking forward to this for at least a week
1: (laughs) hi hannah welcome to the show Hi, Jess. Thank you so much for having me. I too have been looking forward to this for at least a week. So we're, we're in sync on something.
0: Yeah. And since we spoke last, I've been so excited about having this conversation because your story is, is so interesting from so many different angles. And I think there's going to be some real gems in this conversation. But Mag's Creative is your second venture. So tell me the story. Tell me the story about you and where you have come from to this point in your
1: life. Absolutely. So um we started Mags Creative Three and a half years ago, so I started the business with my sister Faith, and I'm sure we'll get onto it. But she's very much the yin to my yang, and we sort of complement each other really, really well as business partners. Um, but we started the business as a content-led marketing agency, so we weren't just creating audio content. We made videos, we made gifs and graphics and shoots, and then we executed those across lots of different content channels, so press and social and and all sorts of other things. But We realized really quickly that podcasts and audio were both the channel that we were most interested in um, and also a sort of industry that was growing at a really exciting rate at the time and seemed to sort of be gathering momentum quite quickly. So we, um, yeah, we pivoted the business, if you can call it that, um, to focus or sort of, I guess, um pivoted isn't the right word we focused more clearly on on an area of specialism um and we became sort of a podcast specific company and then three and a half years later we're now one of the leading podcast companies here in the uk and as you said in your wonderfully kind introduction um we work with some really brilliant brands to make content and we make our own shows and we have exclusives for um for spotify and amazon as well um but i guess if if you sort of really take things back the the genesis of of mags was actually in the perceived failure of our first business um which was a, a online marketplace for furniture and we sold that um to a competitor called vinteria and I say failure because it was a very, very hard business to run. And um, it had sort of, I guess, taken a lot out of both of us professionally and personally. Um, And the reason that audio was so appealing to us as a way to run a business and as a kind of industry to exist in was because we were completely and utterly screen fatigued. So we'd built our first business very much around likes and reach and partnerships and what things looked like and you know, very much kind of shiny, shiny. Um, and I think that was why we were so drawn to working in the audio space and, and why we're sort of building the business in the way that we are now, because it just felt so refreshing um, to sort of really focus on a very meaningful way to to create content and to connect with people.
0: I mean, social media has grown more than anything in these last sort of two years that we've lived through the pandemic and audio is is growing as well. Do you think that we're connected to each other because of the fact that social media is almost distancing ourselves from each other more and more with filters and, you know, audio is real, at least to me. What do you think? Uh,
1: I mean, something that gets me really excited when I'm listening to a podcast or listening to a talk or having this conversation with you now is that there's it's very difficult to hide behind voice. So, when someone is talking about something that they're passionate about, you can hear their voice speed up. You can hear the excitement come into the way that they're speaking. When someone is talking about something that's really been a difficult time for them, you can hear the, you know, the pain and the kind of experience that they've lived through. And I think that kind of reality, um, I guess, is something that I'm really, really drawn to. And just taking away, stripping back some of the layers that we put out there in social and various guises and really, really listening. I mean, ultimately, that's what podcasts are for, aren't they? It's about listening to each other. Um, And that that really excites me. Yeah,
0: Uh, let's go back to starting your first business with your sister, you said that it was a kind of a labor intensive process, burnt you out. But from one perspective, you can say, okay, well, you know, these sisters, they did an exit, that's really successful, you sold your business to a competitor. What was the experience of running that business with your sister? Talk me through that.
1: I mean, it was a business. So the the premise of the business is a sort of niche eBay. Um, So high end design furniture sold um, on a curated website, with lots of different kind of traders and individuals listening, listing their pieces. And I think what we wanted to do was do something um, quite curated, quite sort of small and and expertly kind of designed and and with real sort of personal relationships with with each of these individuals. A couple of the issues that we came up against is that it's very difficult to um, scale a business where you're essentially finding a unique product for one person. So it's not like we could kind of replicate the very old, very beautiful, original 1960s Danish table that we had just sold, because the beauty of it is that it's a one off. So once that item was sold, it had gone and you'd done a huge amount of work in terms of marketing and kind of getting the word out there to find the, the exact right buyer for this one exact kind of unique individual piece. And so that was a real issue for us. Um, and I think just, just really struggling, I guess, to match what we wanted to do, which was um, individual relationships, unique, curated with the reality of a business that probably commercially make sense at scale. And in order to scale something like that, you probably need to go out and raise some money. And we hadn't raised any money. And the company that bought us had raised some money um, and has done a remarkable job of kind of building this into a really, really brilliant business. But I think that is as a result of having capital and what, what Faith and I did and what we have done with Mags Creative is to sort of build piece by piece and slowly, slowly. And I actually think it was probably a failure of understanding as my first business of that there are different types of businesses. And actually some of, some businesses do re- require upfront capital in order to to grow and to make their mark on the market and to reach a scale at which point, you know, they become commercially viable. Other businesses don't. And just having that kind of, commercial acumen and understanding i i definitely didn't have at the time and it just felt like we were failing because it was so hard um but but we weren't failing we were just you know operating a business in a way that maybe didn't fit the expectations that we had of it
0: Right. It's interesting, isn't it? The way that you can look upon these things from two completely different angles. And that's what I love about talking about failure, because it needn't be, it could just be a learning curve or a lesson that you have to be taught. So um, you come from a family of entrepreneurs, your parents are entrepreneurs. How easy was it to start a business with your sister? Was it something that came really natural to you?
1: I love that question. Um, So yeah, both my parents as Both my parents ran businesses um, and they ran a business together. And then they've both sort of been business owners in their own rights as well. And I guess it it was always something that was possible. So it wasn't, it didn't feel unachievable to run a business because I'd watched two people do it really, really incredibly well. And with different skill sets, you know, they were both really good at different types of business. Um, But starting a business with my sister has been, amazing because we know each other incredibly well we really we really sometimes communicate without speaking um and sort of I guess operate from the same value base as well so we we have literally been raised by the same people and been through a lot of the same kind of formative experiences so the way hopefully we often approach things is very similar it's very similar from a kind of you know, how do we want to behave as businesswomen approach? Having said that, we do definitely, you know, we're we're wildly different. We, we operate completely different roles within the business. And I think it's taken us a while to be okay with that. So when we were running Leia, when we were running our first business, we went to every meeting together. We ran every email past each other. You know, we were really like two, but one, And we just kind of like wanted to hold each other's hands the whole way through it. And I think as we've both developed in confidence and learned more about ourselves and what our strengths are, it's been amazing to almost kind of take separate paths, but know that we're both walking on the same path in the same direction together. Um, And that's been, you know, that's been really, really kind of amazing to see over the last couple of years.
0: Possibly not just learning about yourselves, but also learning about each other's strengths as well. And at the same time, um, somebody told me, I mean, I started my business when I was in my 40s. And somebody said to me, you should really run a business a long, 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 long time ago. But she also said to me, don't ever do it with a business partner. And I've, I've heard this from other people since. And somebody said to me that running a business with somebody with a partner is almost you should be as careful with choosing your business partner as you are in choosing a husband or a wife or a, you know, a life partner. Because it is hard. It is difficult. And what's interesting about what you've just said is you've nailed those kind of points that you want to have. You want to have trust in yourself and trust in the other person. And you want to operate. And I think that is key from the same set of values as well. And now you're in your second business and you're scaling. You're hiring more people and things are going really well. How do you take that set of values that you and your sister have and that you founded your business in and instill that in your employees? How do you make that transfer of values?
1: It is a very timely question, because I think what we have done to date is that we have been, you know, a we've grown, I wouldn't say we've grown slowly, but we've grown steadily. And we've been very kind of mindful about hiring in a sustainable way and kind of growing the business in line with with our values. So, you know, a lot of that is around sustainability and good working practices and a good work-life balance and being kind and human and and all of these things that to date, we've kind of just instilled through our actions. And I think as we start to get slightly bigger, that's something that we're going to have to look at formalizing a little bit more. Um, And it's not something that I really, I don't really know the answer to that, to be honest. It's something that To be honest, to date, we have done it by working really closely with people, having a team of eight, sort of, you know, being very open and honest and clear about how we would like to be treated and how we expect to treat our clients and the people that we work with. And hopefully that is like a very high sort of moral code. But that's only possible because... You know, I know everyone very, very well in my team individually, and we interact on a multiple times a day basis. And I think as that becomes slightly less possible, although, you know, we're not going from like 10 to 100 overnight, we're going from, I don't know, next year, say 10 to 15 or 18 people. It It's sort of it's something that I think we're going to have to formalize a little bit more. So um, I'm going to be quite frank and say I don't have the answer to that at scale.
0: Well, us business owners don't have the answers to everything. I think sometimes think that people think that we know everything, but we don't. It is a journey, and I think that you are describing it so. So succinctly, when you say that it's a journey of getting to know not only yourself and your strengths, but also of your business partner, in this case, your sister. But you have big clients, you have got Spotify, you do podcasts for Penguin, these are really, really big brands. How can we as business owners, not at that level, but slightly smaller, how can we use audio as a content form?
1: I mean, I would say that audio is a massively underutilized form of communication. And actually, the latest infinite dial report, which essentially looks at listener behavior shows that 40% of the UK population over the age of 16 listen to a podcast at least once a month. So if you are looking to reach a massive cross section of the population across lots of different age groups, 40% of the entire UK population listens to podcasts. So that in itself is a hugely interesting and kind of huge cross-section of of society and an interesting piece of data that has just come out in the last couple of days. Um, And what I think the way that we need to think about podcast that is different as to how we might think about other forms of media is that it isn't a kind of flick through and forget type of content. It's something where you're really asking a lot of your listeners. So as a brand, as an individual, as a career woman who is looking to kind of get her message across you really and we really have to respect the time of our listeners and understand that in a very very time poor world essentially we're often often asking for anywhere between 20 to you know 60 70 80 90 minutes if we're talking about some of the kind of really epic podcast lengths and taking that really seriously i think is is the absolute first step in in utilizing audio and then working out what is my reason to exist in this space you know why what do i have to say that is so not necessarily unique, but that that comes from me and is is a topic that I will be able to sustain over and above you know three or four episodes It's something that is going to interest me because consistency is a really key part of podcast audience growth, so respect for the listener, working out what your reason to exist is, and then creating really brilliant content I think that's your kind of first step to getting into podcasting and audio, and you know it doesn't have to be that you're sort of changing the world overnight, because actually another key part of of what we talk about when we talk about podcasts is longevity. So there is very rarely, and we, you know, as you've listed very kindly, we work with some big brands and we work with some big, you know, well-known individuals. There is relatively rarely that there's actually an overnight success story in podcasting now, sort of in 2021, 22 when we started the business, it was a bit of a different story and there was less competition and, you know, maybe the charts, the algorithm were sort of made up slightly differently. But nowadays, it, it, it just is a little bit more difficult to do anything overnight. And I think with every form of, of content creation and storytelling, it's about something that you can sort of tell authentically over a long period of time and view podcasting as a long term part of either an individual kind of career plan or a sort of brand's business plan. And and actually, I should say, even pre all of that, pre starting a podcast yourself, get on podcasts and, and guest on podcasts and experiment with audio that way, because you really are reaching a demographic of people who are engaged in listening to other people. So if you can kind of hone your craft and start storytelling by being a guest on other people's podcasts, then that's a really, really good starting point.
0: It's really a way of, of finding your voice. And I say that tongue in cheek because the absolute brilliant podcast producer that we use for this show, Annabelle Buckers, a.k.a. Decibel Creative, she told me when I said that I hated the sound of my own voice, but I still wanted to do podcasting, which is weird, some sort of self-flagellation, right? She said, <laughs> it is normal. You know, it's normal we are wired this way. It's physiology. We don't hear our own voices in the same frequency as others do. And like with everything, it's about just doing it. So I did it. And I listened to my own voice, even though I didn't want to. And lo and behold, you get used to it after a while. And I'm sure that the listeners of this podcast wouldn't be listening to it if they didn't like my voice. I know podcasts that I've listened to that have great content, but I haven't liked the voice or been able to handle the voice. So I don't listen to it. You know, it's And you can't be loved by everybody. That's just the way that it is. But I think if we talk about things that hold people back from podcasting, I think that can be one thing. And I think another thing that can hold people back also is that they think that it's highly technical. So what's your best tip when it comes to overcoming that part of it? Do I need to hire a very fancy uh, production company? Or is this something I can do myself?
1: I think it's absolutely something that people can do themselves. I think as long as you're prepared to put in the work, then you know there's a, you'll know from doing your podcast that making a podcast is is not just pitching up and chatting there is a lot more work that goes in behind the scenes in terms of research and briefing conversations and creating briefing notes and scripts and promotion and audience growth so i would say it's absolutely something that people can do and should do themselves but view it as you would any other kind of you know, content creation endeavor. It's something that's gonna have lots of different layers and is going to take up a percentage of your week's time and and that, you know, if you're able to dedicate that that time to it on an ongoing basis, then absolutely. Um, I think once you've got um your sort of foundations in place, so you've worked out, you know, what what's my What's my niche? What's my hook? What's my reason to exist in this space? What am I going to be able to talk about that is going to keep me engaged and is also going to hopefully be able to find an audience of people that I am interested in speaking to and sort of cultivating this community? And, you know, you start you start your podcast with the idea that it isn't going to be a quick win. So there is a bit of longevity to it. So you've got great content, the idea of longevity and then consistency. So if you're going to be able to release your podcast, you know, weekly, we we would sort of suggest as weekly, as frequently weekly as, as you can without having a sort of meltdown. Um and then maybe you do, you know, a batch of seasons and then you take a bit of a break and then then you release another batch of seasons again. Um and then I think it's just it's about planning and it's about, you know, researching your guests, getting in touch with your guests, booking your guests in for recordings then researching those individual guests and you know maybe having an advanced research call with them, writing up your briefing documents and your scripts, sharing those with the guest. A lot can be, particularly now in, in kind of remote 2021, a lot can be done remotely. Um, we used to spend a lot of time in the studio and we're now probably 50-50 in terms of remote recordings and, and in-person recordings. Um, There's so many tools and, you know, I can send a list of of these over for you to put in the show notes maybe afterwards. But you can use Squadcast, which we're on now, or Zencaster. You can get really good kind of, you know, starting level microphones for you so that your sound quality is, is at a really good starting point. And then in terms of editing, you can work with some brilliant, you know, freelance podcast producers. You can, if you're interested in the kind of technical side of things, you can start teaching yourself a little bit, there are, you know, there are some brilliant tools out there, which can allow you to do kind of DIY editing as well. So I would say it's absolutely possible. It just is quite a lot of work. And I'm going to be frank about that, because I run a whole business because, you know, there's, there's enough jobs for lots of people to do in the creation of a podcast. And if it's just one of you, it can feel like a lot. But if you're up for it, then do it.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things that do it if you find joy in it as well, because you will be able to tell
1: if you have joy That's in it or so not. True. And I think that about all forms of content creation, there are people whose articles I read and I think you can tell that they love writing and, and writing has not writing this article has not been a chore. And actually, I think people knowing themselves and knowing whether, you know, written or video or audio is the medium that is going to most get them out of bed in the morning and think, actually, it's totally fine for me to switch on my microphone and have a chat with someone because I love that, as opposed to having to sit down and write 500 words of an article that's just going to feel like a drag all day long. but the flip reverse might be true of some other people as well. I think that's such a good point.
0: I sometimes talk to people about social media as well. And they say to me, okay, well, listen, I got to find somebody to do this for me because I don't enjoy it and I hate it and it drags me down and this, that, and the other. And it's like, you're never going to be able to do it well if you feel that way. Yeah. It's like it's better to get somebody else in to do it or find a way to enjoy it then regardless of what kind of marketing you're doing for your business because you can tell. I mean, you really, really can. So and I think particularly with audio, it's like you really have got to want to do it. You have got to want to share something with the world. And I think that's what's so fabulous about podcasting as well, is that we spoke about how you can really niche yourself as well. So there can be the smallest little podcast, but it can be really for a very particular audience. So regardless of what your audience is, you're bound to be able to find it through audio.
1: 100%. And we talk a lot about that with, you know, with individual podcasters and with our clients, which is about, you know, what is the objective of this podcast? So we've talked about, you know, what, what is the reason to exist? What's your space in the market? You know, what is it that excites it you? And you've got this podcast concept, but sometimes the audience, the desired audience might be a 100 people around the world. And there might be this really clear, very specific demographic of people who are decision makers in a certain industry, or they are niche enthusiasts for, you know, a some sort of hobby that there's only you know a handful of people that are interested around the world and that is a huge success factor as well finding those 100 people and if your podcast is listened to by the 100 key decision makers in your industry every week god what you know that's amazing that's that's huge but because i think we live in a world of you know scale and consumption and it's about the, the success factors are often viewed as I've got to get into the top 10 in the charts or, you know, I've got to be the biggest podcast. And in some cases, that is the objective. And the same with some of our shows, you know, the objective is, it's a popular culture podcast designed to reach a mass audience. And as such, it's entertaining, and it can appeal, you know, cross demographic. And I think just being really clear about your objective on that when you're starting your podcast, like who do I think is going to listen to this? Who do I want to listen to this? Would I be happy if 50 of those people tuned into my podcast every single week? That's huge. If you know, it's, it's not that 50 of those people are double tapping on Instagram to like your post or it's 30 to 40 minutes of their time that those 50 people are giving up. And if you got 50 people in a room and you were delivering a speech to them every single week about your view on the world, you'd feel pretty important, I think. So it it is also just kind of putting things into perspective that what is your objective? Who do you want to reach? And then even when the numbers might seem small in the scale of the world, actually, those are still people who are dedicating time to listening to something that you're creating. And I think that, you know, deserves a little bit more recognition.
0: Absolutely. I think one of the most rewarding things of obviously being this my first season doing a podcast is getting messages and DMs from people who say, you changed my day or I didn't realize and now I know this and it makes me feel stronger or I can take this on and all of these positive messages. And it's hugely rewarding. And maybe you just need a few of those to encourage you on your podcast journey, but it would be wrong of me not to ask this quite obvious question. And that is like, can you mention some of your favorite podcasts that you listen to?
1: Um, I mean, I listen to so many podcasts that it is almost like asking me to choose a favourite child. Um, <laughs> and thank goodness I only have one child. Um I have recently I've been listening to um Sweet Bobby, which is a has been a big hit on the UK charts um an investigation into a kind of catfishing scandal that took place over a decade and a half. Um It was produced by Tortoise Media, which is the slow news company. And I really like everything that they do. Um, And so I've just, yeah, I've really, really been enjoying that. Um, I have to plug one of our podcasts that we create. Castaway is the podcast about podcasts. And it's hosted by Laura Whitmore, who is also the host of Love Island. Um, And it's just such a great one if you are into podcasts. So she gets famous people on ask them to choose three or four different podcast choices and, and moments that they that they love. And so it's a podcast about podcasts by a podcast company. So it's pretty meta. Um but it's a really good way of also kind of getting to know some of the famous people through the types of podcasts that they like. Um and also discovering new podcasts. So I've I've been a bit naughty because I've chosen one of my own, but I'm I'm gonna say those two.
0: Well, here's the thing with podcasts, though, is that you don't have to choose, really. You can love different kinds of podcasts. I do that. I love, like, true crime. I find that really fascinating. BBC Sounds have some really great ones. I love the political ones that come out of The Guardian as well. And, you know, there's a whole plethora of different kinds that I like. And that's the thing, isn't it? You do commit as a listener quite significantly to a podcast but you can listen to a lot of them as well which is you don't have to choose between your favorite children
1: so yeah thank goodness for that our um the data suggests that regular podcast listeners have seven podcast slots so essentially they you know they're either listening to a podcast a day or maybe some days they're listening to two and that you know that's seven slots that you can fill so i don't know how many slots you have but i probably have slightly fewer than seven actually in in terms of like Non-work related listening because I'm listening so much at work. But those seven podcast slots are people who are, you know, looking for for something regular. And I think that's as well comes back to the point about consistency because often the data suggests that you know people are the the rate of people listening on the day of release is much higher than other days, and that's because you know you know that on a Tuesday podcast x comes out and on a wednesday podcast y comes out and so i think there is this kind of podcast listening schedule where you know people know that they're going to listen to the new episode of whatever on their way to work on a monday and then whatever on the way back on a monday so i think um yeah there's a lot of listening going on so there's a lot of slots it doesn't have to be just kind of one or two favorites there's there's so much out there
0: that's really, really interesting, actually, about the seven slots. Um, so if anybody's listening to this podcast and they're kind of podcast curious and they want to maybe guest on podcasts, what are your top tips for doing that?
1: Um, that's a really good one. I would say um, work out what your story is, first of all. So what is it that you're prepared to to talk fluently and openly and, you know, knowledgeably, hopefully, about Um whether it's something very specifically professionally so maybe there's a you know a particular skill that you want to talk about or a particular case study that you have that you think you know might be interesting in a kind of very business case study professional type conversation or if there is more of a kind of personal angle that you want to go down and it's you know You've bootstrapped your business or you started a business. I think basically interrogating yourself is a is a pretty good way to start. And then writing that up and writing it up as if you were pitching someone else, but essentially you're pitching yourself. So what are the most interesting things about you at the top? Some nice bullet points, a, a sort of very easy to read bio summary that, you know, a, a booker could kind of take a glance over and think yeah I, I get this person I get what their story is and yes they're you know they're right or they're not right for the show and then um get a hit list so take a look around work out which podcast you think you know this person you this story um might be appropriate for and and then it's about outreach and starting conversations and I think it's much easier once you've had your first couple of conversations and you've got something to kind of share with people and and to show that you know, this is something that I do, and I'm comfortable doing, and build it, build it from there, really, I'd say. But what about, I mean, what about you, Jess? How do you kind of, how do your guests come to you? Just like that, actually, just
0: like my pitching. So some guests, I have found myself because I felt that they had an interesting story that I wanted to share with the world. And some guests have come to me because they want to share their story. And I think that That is how I did it as well. I did it exactly the way that you described. So I started out by kind of figuring out who I was and what I wanted to say. And then just talking to people, you know, podcasts that I was intrigued by, listen to myself, reaching out to them and pitching myself as a guest. And once I'd kind of done a few, it's like anything. You get a little bit you know, used to the idea and you get more comfortable with it. And then lo and behold, came my own podcast. So Mm. you never know where that podcasting journey is going to take you.
1: And the podcasting industry is notoriously nice. I will also say as well, there's a lot of nice people in podcasting. So I think it's a really nice place um, to meet people and, you know, to have good conversations generally with really, really good human beings.
0: It's sort of founded. The whole industry is founded in the kind of spirit of sharing. You know, sharing knowledge and opinions and history
1: and and all of that and op- openness as well. yes. Yeah. it's like the RSS feed is this tool, technical tool that essentially can be picked up by any kind of distributor. So if you really want to get technical and geeky about it, it's like a very open forum, free for all. Generally, obviously, there's changes to kind of the monetization of podcasts at the moment. But yeah, I totally agree. Open, kind, good industry. So I think it's a nice place to start. So take me
0: back to that pivoting point a few years back when you and your sister had a a content company and you made the decision to go full on in into audio. What was that moment like and how did you get there and where did that moment take you?
1: Very scary Um, because essentially what we had to do was say no to some existing clients, some work that was coming in and sort of, put a bet on really that what we wanted to do and what our kind of guts were telling us to do and the data because I am anyone that works with, with me will know that I'm very interested in the industry data like the macro data and the micro data of like you know what could we see from our own shows and what could what could we learn I love all of that um so it was a combination of sort of like looking at yes there's something going on here and I sort of think I can see the you know the signs of change and it's picking up pace and there they just felt like this something and you know do we have the guts to sort of say no to some immediate revenue for for a longer term plan and we did and obviously with the benefit of hindsight it was 100% the right decision we've become specialists in something that has grown at the same time as we've started and grown our business. We've been incredibly fortunate that that's happened. And I think I don't know enough about other industries to know whether specializing is always the right thing to do. But for us, the timing was really spot on. Plus, hopefully, I think we're quite good at what we do. And we've made a real kind of, you know, effort to be the absolute best at what we do, both with our clients and with our own, our own shows. But it was, you know, that I can only say all of that because it's working out right now. <laughs> and and if it hadn't have worked out and, you know, we had two employees at the time that we made the decision and, you know, if we hadn't have been able to pay their salaries or it would have been awful. Um, But sometimes I think that taking the leap before you've got the security means that you make it work out. And I certainly yeah. work a little bit like that in the way that, you know, we probably always grow a little bit sooner than we're ready to because you sort of then... you're fearful again in a really great way. Um, Mm. And I like living in that growth zone and um, a bit sort of stretched um, outside of a comfort zone, not all the time, because I I think you can sort of burn yourself out, but just being sort of nicely pushed outside of my comfort zone fairly frequently um, is pretty much how we run the business.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's where it needs to be in my opinion, you know, and what I'm hearing from you is yes, there's data, But yes, there's also a gut feeling that this Mm. is the right thing to do. And I think that that gut feeling is so powerful. So is data. But that gut feeling as a business owner is so important. And also, like the trust and the bravery that you had going for it. Yes, it could have gone the other way. Like with most businesses, you know, there's a time and a place. But the real growth happens when you push yourself to that place of like, well, we're going to do this, you know, mm. and this is what's going to happen. And it's. I've spoken to so many business owners and there's always an element of that. And it's that thing that you cannot pin down, that gut feeling. It is everything that you're about that's speaking to you.
1: Yeah, I think you're completely right. And I I think often in the world that we live in at the moment... We place, as you've said, such high value on data because we have so much of it in the world. And, you know, we live in a world where everything about us is being captured all the time by everyone. And that's great if you can interpret data really, really well. But there is also still with business always an element of what, you know, what do I think is the right thing to do here? And, you know, how can I navigate this in a way that excites me? Because I, the data could have said, podcasting is going nowhere. Um, But podcasting would still have really excited us. And so then, you know, that's something that is, it's an intangible feeling, it's an intangible moment. And maybe we would have pivoted our business two years early. And, you know, the industry might have caught up with us, or maybe it wouldn't have. But yeah, that gut and that feeling and that human element of data and of decision making, I, I really kind of put a lot of value on. And I think both Faith and I, you know, Faith and I really try and, have those conversations with each other about, you know, what do you think is the right thing to do? Not just what does the data tell us to do?
0: It's interesting, actually, you come from a family that have run businesses. I do not. I do not come from an entrepreneurial background, but I do have a mother who always used to tell me that do what you love and the money will come Mm. as in passion. And I, I truly believe in that. And I try to instill that in my children as well. As long as you love something and you're passionate about it, then you're going to listen to your gut and you're going to, to do what it takes to succeed, not at any price, but that passion is going to convert into something if you, if you're consistent with it. And I, I love that, but I want to know more about kind of your journey. You were two employees then when you took that decision to kind of go into audio full on and and saying no to profitable clients and so on and so forth, which takes a lot of bravery. And now you're, you know, you have multiple employees and you're growing at a great scale. What was that scaling journey like? Is it going? How did you get clients like Spotify and Penguin? I'm sure we all want to know.
1: I think we have built things brick by brick and I think it's a really unsexy way of um talking about business growth but I think a lot of businesses that are built through revenue rather than through investment do tend to build things brick by brick um so you know we did not land in year one a huge deal we land lots of lots of smaller deals and we experimented and we ran our own shows and we sold our own sponsorship and we you know we tried stuff and probably in year one well definitely in year one we made drastically less revenue than we would be making sort of three and a half years later now because we were learning um and I think Faith and I have very much prioritized experimenting so we had our kind of annual review a couple of weeks ago with the team for 2021. And actually we spent a huge amount of time talking about the things that could be perceived as failures this year. But they're things where, you know, at the start of the year, we thought the strategy was going to be this. So we go hell for leather to make this happen. And then something outside of our control happens and we can't do that. So we we pivot and we learn. And, you know, there are shows that we thought were going to be massive hits and they weren't, but there were shows that we thought were going to be small and then they were big. So I guess just being really, really okay with trying stuff and not having the answers and learning from it and doing, you know, faith and I are both big sort of um, what's the word we like to, p- I personally like to pick over stuff and think about, you know, what worked about that and what didn't work about that and what can we learn and what can we take from it? And it probably annoys the hell out of everyone I work with. Um, But, but that has been the process. So it has really been like just very sort of slow building blocks of progress and, each thing has led to the next thing. And I think we're also in a business, and I think there are still so many businesses like this, that are about relationships. And we have built really great relationships, hopefully, um, with the people that we work with, who have then gone on to refer us to a slightly larger client, or, you know, who knew someone who was commissioning, or whatever those kind of relationships have been. And I think because we live in such a digital world, it's very easy to often overlook the fact that behind the laptops and behind the screens are still people and we really like working with people and we want to do a good job for those people and hopefully that will then mean that those people you know talk about us or just liked working with us and want to work with us again so um i'm afraid i don't have a zero to hero kind of and we did it all overnight um success story but it yeah it has just been a kind of piece by piece um building
0: Well, I think that's such an important lesson, though, because always when I describe, when people say to me, oh, so what what are you doing? I say I'm building the empire brick by brick Mm. because every little thing that you do every single day is going to contribute to that journey, however small it may feel at the time. It's still building something every single day. And it's that consistency and that understanding that business does not happen. Of course, there's always success stories and we always focus on those, don't we? But Richard Branson has a quote that something that he said, which is one of my favorite quotes ever when he says it took me 20 years to become an overnight success. It's because the perception, because the perception is that we succeed overnight. We might have been building our business for five years, but because people get to know us and then they go, oh my God, she's amazing, da, 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 da. And there might be podcasts out there who have done, you know, a hundred episodes before they even reach a particular level. And I think this is so interesting and it goes into the idea of mindset, how we approach things as well, because what you're describing to me is very much a growth mindset. And I think that this is so key to running a business or to just in general grow as a human being is that we are curious and we want to, we want to explore and and look back and look forward at the same time. And I think that that's really key. What are your thoughts on, on mindset and the importance of mindset in your
1: business for yourself? I mean, basically what you've just said, growth mindset and living kind of in that slightly outside of your comfort zone, stretch zone, some of the time is, something that definitely drives me. So being able to know that, you know, what we're doing this year is definitely not what we were doing last year, and hopefully won't be exactly the same as what we're doing next year. And I think I, you know, growth zone, I think, has a huge number of positives. It's, it's for me, it's motivating, it's, you know, it's very exciting. I'm a very curious person. I like understanding and talking to people and getting an idea of a totally new industry and pulling together a bit of a vision of it. But I think what I have to be careful about is focus. So those are the two sides of the coin for me is that, you know, I can love being curious and, you know, looking around and checking out for new opportunities. But there's also an element of focus and making sure that we're not doing too many different things or I'm not trying to do too many different things. I have too many different conversations. Um, so I think that is a real focus for me over the next 12 months is working out how those two things can coexist really well. And I know they can coexist really well. Um, but as a company, we need to be slightly in our growth zone, but also not haphazard. Um, and I think, you know, that is as you're as we are growing and as I am the type of, sort of business owner that does like to experiment with different things, I have to rein myself in sometimes and think, you know, let's do two experiments this quarter. Let's try two things rather than five. And then if those two things don't work, we try the other three next quarter. Um, So that's definitely something I've learned about myself. If you had to pick
0: a couple of lessons, let's say a failure and a success or around those two areas, lessons that you've learned in in running your businesses, what, what would those be?
1: I would say a failure is definitely comparing myself to other people for a long portion of being an entrepreneur. So starting the first business and making it all about making our business look very shiny um, and looking at other people's very shiny businesses and thinking, bloody hell, like, you know, behind the scenes is pretty hard, but everyone else looks like they're smashing it. Um, (laughs) and comparison being the thief of joy is the quote that i will always refer back to in my professional and my personal life because there's just no point in it there's no value your reality is no you know is never comparable to someone else's reality um so that for me i think is a failure but something i work really really hard to combat because i can still fall into the you know the realms of a little bit of comparison culture Um, But
0: that's, that's also a great success that you've managed to recognize this and you're continuously working on it. And I can relate to that 110% because I spent the majority of my life, not as a business owner, but as a human being, comparing myself to others and particularly wondering what others thought about me. Mm. And now that I'm actually out there in the world as a business owner, being quite extroverted and putting myself out there on purpose. I don't care. Mm. I don't care anymore. I don't, and that is a liberation, and it's living my life in freedom as opposed to living my life in the constraints of what I thought, or possibly people were thinking about me, Mm. which they weren't, because we're all so busy thinking about thinking about ourselves.
1: (laughs) We don't have time. We don't have time. It's so true, Jess. My mum always says, um, "Just stay in your own lane." You know, like yeah. Just stay in your lane. And I think that is something that I think about a lot. Um, and I don't need to worry about what, you know, whoever is doing over here or whoever is doing over here, because I'm in my lane. And as long as you're happy with your lane and I'm really happy with my lane right now, you know, that's good enough. Um social social media has also made it worse for us, obviously. Mm-hmm. I blame social media so
0: much because this is just acerbated everything because what you're doing is that you're comparing your inside to somebody else's highly filtered outside. Mm. And you know, that's not fair, it's not healthy, it's not good. And the less we do that, the better. So Mm. I'm a big fan of taking breaks from social media as well and living life in the real world. And and I totally, totally agree with your mum when it comes to staying in your own lane in the sense that don't let the perceived success of others distract you from your commitment to whatever it is that you want to achieve in your business, whatever mm. that may be, you know, don't let anybody else take that away from you. That's really, really interesting. And I think it's interesting that we can take something that we perceive as a failure and also look at it from another angle. And I think that that comes from the curiosity mm. of it all as well. And I thought it was so interesting when I spoke to you the first time and You know, you said it was such hard work for you and your sister to run your first business. I said, but it was successful. You sold it. It's a perceived, you know, massive success. It's something that a lot of people want to achieve, this elusive exit in their business. And the truth is, we don't know what's going on inside other people's businesses.
1: It's so true. And I think when I talk about the first business being hard work, I mean, we work really hard now. But it was the wrong type of hard work. And I think that's another massive learning I've had, which was that it felt like we were pushing the wrong boulder up the wrong hill with the wrong shoes on. And it was just, it was so hard. And it was, yeah. And I think the work that we do now, you know, it's hard work and we have a team and we all pull together in the same direction But I would say one of the successes that we have is just, I really love going to work. You know, I really love the business that we're building and I'm really proud of it. And I really love the people that we work with and I love the work that we do. And I looked around at the Christmas party a couple of weeks ago and was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. These people are amazing. And I get to work with them every day. And I think, you know, yeah, those two different types of hard work, the first hard work, wrong hill, wrong boulder, wrong shoes. (laughs) And now, you know, Still very hard, heavy boulder, but we're all kind of working together and it just feels yeah, much more invigorating.
0: Yeah, it's this incredible journey, isn't it? But you can feel kind of the flow of energy when you're doing the right thing and you can feel how tough it is when you are not doing the right thing. And that goes, uh, again, back to like listening to your gut. And I think that's really what you did. But you had another big event in your life about 18 months ago, I think. I don't know what you're talking about, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been busy doing the yeah. last 18 months?
1: Um, well, my daughter, Alba, was born in May 2020. So, um, yeah, she is now 18 months old, um, going on 18 years
0: a pandemic baby what was that like
1: yeah she was born in the height of uh lockdown one um and it was a strange experience um it was yeah it was it was really difficult um we my parents both met her through closed glass windows their first grandchild um tom and i you know didn't have a huge amount of help in the early days because it was still very kind of much stay at home and and stay in your own kind of houses. But on the flip side of that, you know, my partner was able to take a much longer amount of time working from home. And so to be much, much more involved, I probably went back to work sooner than I would have been able to because we were all working from home rather than going into an office. Um, And it's, yeah, it's been a huge life change, you know, the life change of all life changes, I think for many women, Um, but also, you know, extraordinary and amazing and mental and just everything.
0: My husband, uh, who also runs his own business, is an interior designer. And when I was sat on the sofa with my eldest boy, who's was going to be 13 in March, uh, (laughs) uh, trying to breastfeed because it certainly wasn't easy, he came home in the middle of the day and I, I I couldn't believe it. I was like, what are you doing here? And he said, I lost my job. And we all lost our jobs because it was the height of the financial crisis. Wow. And the business he was working for folded. Everybody lost their jobs within 24 hours. They had 24 hours to get out basically. And that was the start of his business. And what I wow. didn't recognize then was that what perceivably could be a massive scary moment, which it was particularly with a small baby, which acerbated the whole situation, actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Mm. Because as you say, he was then present, not only for our first child, but also our second and our third, because he was working from home and he ran mm. his own business and he was present in a way that he could possibly never have been, having worked, you know, in a busy busy London office. So, you know, swings and roundabouts,
1: really. <laughs> it, it totally does. And I think, you know, babies and motherhood gives you and fatherhood actually gives you a clarity on life that you you I I did not have before um and it's made me very ruthless with my time and what I spend time on and who I spend time with and you know how I spend my time at work because if I'm at work then I'm not with Albert and I want that time to be you know useful and and worth it um and so it's it's been in many other ways as well, a sort of a big learning curve and a huge benefit to me. It's just sort of benefited me in so many ways. I agree with you. It's definitely made me more
0: cautious about the time I spend, not just at work, but with people just in general. I choose my time very carefully, not just being away from my family, but in the sense that, it's also given my life purpose in the sense that I want to show them what is possible. What you said earlier, that your parents being uh, business owners showed you what was possible for you. And that's what I want to give to my children, particularly my daughters, because I think that, you know, in Sweden, there's not enough, there's not enough (laughs) female business owners in general, but particularly Mm -hmm. in Sweden, we've only had a growth of about 1% in increase per decade. So the last 40 wow. years, there's been a 4% increase in female business ownership. And for a country that's equal, that is um, that is quite astounding. So I want them to know that that's possible for them if that's what they mm, want to do.
1: Definitely, yeah. I think it's really important that Alba sees that, you know, her mum really likes what she does and works really yeah. hard and hopefully it's a success. Um And hopefully that's a good, you know, good positive thing for her to kind of have instilled in her from from day dot.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So where do you plan to take Mag's creator, which we should say also is named after your grandmother, which I think is incredibly sweet.
1: (laughs) It is. Yeah. My my lovely grandma, um, Margaret Maggie Mags. Um, That's how Faith and I named the business three and a half years ago. So it is very much truly a family business. And where is this family business going to take you in the future, do you think? What are your thoughts I mean, on that? I mean, it's, it's again, a brilliantly timed question because this time of year um, for us as a business is all about looking back on what's worked this year and, you know, what our strategy is for, for the year and years ahead. And I think we have grown enormously this year in terms of the scale of productions that we do and the type of production so we launched a show um, in November that's still releasing now called Life Sentence which is a our first sort of semi-fictional original narrative show around the environment and sustainability so we pick kind of different Um, characters from the world stage so whether it's the polar bear or the rainforest and bring them to life in these really beautiful immersive episodes um, which is still releasing at the moment and obviously that is a plug again for one of my shows but what I would say that 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 has done is kind of really um, lit the fire in our bellies around kind of very very ambitious production so we are you know, a leading company at producing really, really engaging interview style or kind of semi-narrative shows. And I think we want to keep doing that. And we want to keep doing that excellently. And then what we're looking to do over the next couple of years is really kind of build on some some super ambitious productions that are maybe fictional, maybe they're investigative, maybe they're docudrama. And we've got a few kind of things in development at the moment and basically build those into big mega hits is, is the simple plan. Um, but I think, you know, I think we can do it and we have a plan in place and we're building the team and we're sort of, yeah, building our, our ambitions. Um, so that I think is what the next year is, is going to bring for us. Um, some hiring in, in the first quarter, some development of some, some really exciting concepts, which hopefully will get into production in the first kind of first or second quarter of next year, and then bringing those to life over the course of the next kind of 12 months.
0: Again, building that empire brick by brick. I it is. I, there is no other way of doing it. it. There really isn't. And sure, you can have overnight success. I'm sure that that exists, but not for us and not for Richard Branson. A hundred percent. Which I think is great. Thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation full of so many gems. And I think that one of the interesting things that we can take away now this time of year is to really do that more often, to look back, whether it's on a weekly basis or on a daily basis or on a monthly basis or yearly basis, look at where you were and how far you've come, because we're all doing that, laying the foundation and laying the bricks by brick. And it takes time but you can get there. And I think there's so many interesting aspects of the conversation that we've just had, particularly what stays with me is the staying in your lane to focus on on what it is that you want to achieve more than anything else. And also the fact that we all need to be more brave and that bravery can take you some amazing places. So thank you so much for this conversation, Hannah. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Jess. It has been a a very, 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 brilliant way to spend a monday afternoon and i just have to check we are definitely still on monday yes definitely so if we want to find out more about you and more about mags tell us all where can we find you how can we connect with you you can find me on linkedin at hannah russell you can head to magscreative.co.uk and you can also head to mags.creative on instagram perfect
0: thank you so much thanks jess
1: I really hope you've enjoyed this
0: episode. You've been listening to Unprecedented Women with me, Jess Audsley. If you've been inspired by this conversation, I would love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. Believe it or not, it really does help. Keep in touch on Instagram, my favorite platform, and let me know your thoughts. You can find me at rocksocial underscore. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time for more chats with unprecedented women.